Hey everybody, welcome to the New World Pictures Podcast bonus episode interview. I'm Ryan, with me as always is Mark. Hello there. And Erica. Hi there. And we have an incredible interview. Guys, Patrick Reed Johnson is on this episode. Amazing. This uh, episode, just to take you behind the curtain, I've been trying to get Patrick on the show for a while, but Patrick is a busy, busy guy. And the reason being, he has a new movie that's now out. You can rent it. You can buy the Blu-ray if you are inclined to do that. Five twenty-five seventy-seven. It is an incredible story. And of course, we get to talk to Patrick about it, how he made this movie, how he stuck to his guns to make the movie he wanted. So please enjoy that part of the conversation. But we also, of course, had to talk to him about his new world history. We had to talk to him about Dead Heat, mm-hmm. which he worked on Dead Heat. He also worked on Warlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a ball talking to Patrick Reed Johnson. He is a great guy, and I'm it's, so glad. It felt like we only scratched the surface of what oh, we yes. could have talked with him No, about. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, 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 we ended up just having so much fun that I feel like we... Oh, we, we need to do some more interviewing. <laughs> we were just right. having a really, right. really good time. And of course, talking about his new movie is great, and I'm so we're so happy for him. Congrats, Patrick, for getting uh, your movie out there, and we encourage everybody to watch it. But we had a blast talking with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to get to do it again because Patrick is a great guy, as you will now hear as we talk to Patrick Reed Johnson. But this <laughs> is this is so great to have you because we've been talking back and forth, and we haven't been able to sit down with you only because. You've been trying to finish your movie, which makes all the sense in the world. But now your movie is out, which yes. is so exciting. 525.77. I know you've been working on it for not just the past year, though. Obviously, you've been working on it a lot the past year. This has been a huge labor of love for you. So first of all, I just want to say congratulations Thank on you. getting the movie out. It's yes. available now to rent or to purchase from MVD. I have right. already bought my copy is, is, is in the mail. Right. Uh, so I have bought my copy, so you can go out and buy it or rent it right now and watch the movie. But can you tell us about this experience? I know <laughs> we've been talking about this like crazy for the past month or so, but you know, it has been, it's, it's just a huge experience. You, you, you started this movie like 18 years ago. This is, this yeah. Is- I mean, I actually, let's see, I started, I had quit Hollywood. Well, sort of quit Hollywood. I mean, I quit living in Hollywood, uh, in 1999 uh, mm-hmm. I just I was done I just I mean I was writing more than I was directing and and I can write on Mars so why live in LA you know and so I, I moved my family back to, I bought bought my parents out of my home the house I grew up in and because they wanted something smaller anyway mm-hmm. and so I took over that place moved them back there and within you know a few weeks of being back there just driving around on summer nights you know, on the old mm-hmm. roads and past the old haunts, the ghosts came out. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, all right. And this was, you know, originally I had pitched to Gary Kurtz, who he and I had been partnered up on a bunch of other projects and were friends and, and we're trying to find things to do together. And I had pitched something called Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which was just American graffiti for the 70s on a hot mm-hmm. summer in the 70s. That's all. And that's all it was. And he, you know, of the of all the other things that we talked about doing, this was his least favorite only because he said, look, I totally understand why you need and want to do this, but I've done my American graffiti and, you know, and I think and I think you'll do a great job with yours and I wish you luck. 
Um, but it, all it was was a collection of like all the other events in the movie without the Star Wars aspect. Because I, when I met Gary and when I met George, um, actually before Gary, um, uh, <laughs> Fred Roos, um, who was one of the producers of our film, um, right after Space Invaders was picked up by Steven Spielberg and Disney and the whole thing and, and got its big release and everything, um, I got a call that from Fred Roos saying he wanted to have breakfast. And so I went out and had breakfast with Fred Roos, which was kind of like having breakfast with the Godfather where, you know, I went to this <laughs> Italian restaurant and he's sitting at his table <laughs> yes. and it's no one else is there. And the waiters are all hovering around and, and he sits there, he sits down in front of me. I get there first, of course, like a dork. And, um, and <laughs> he arrives like 15 minutes later, sits down and they all come running in and give him his cappuccino and his sugar and his cream and his, his stuff. And he's sitting there stirring his cappuccino, just staring, <laughs> at me, staring at me, staring at me. And I'm going, what is going on? <laughs> Finally, he takes a little sip, he puts the cup down and he looks at me, he goes, your film, dollar for dollar, has more production value in it than any film I've ever seen in Hollywood. And you're going to tell me how you did it. This was Space Invaders, right? Because we made wow. it for like $2 million, right? Yeah. Wow. And, and so I babbled on about how we did it. And John Knoll and me and the guys, a lot of other people who ended up becoming kind of rich and famous and successful. But um, when it was over, he goes, I want you to have breakfast with a friend of mine. Um, I'll call your agent. I'll set it up and you'll, you'll find out about it later. So I was like driving home. Doop, 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 doop. And I get a call. I'm on my cell phone and, and it's Jay Maloney at CAA and he says Patrick um what are you doing tomorrow morning at 7 a.m I said I don't know what am I doing tomorrow morning at 7 a.m he goes you're having breakfast with George Lucas and I was like wow yes, <laughs> right. so I was like oh at the Bel Air Hotel you know it's only gonna be 15 minutes you won't have a bunch of time but he wants to talk to you about this movie Radioland Murders we're sending the script over read it blah 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 so they send the script over. I read it. It's got a lot of issues. And I'm thinking, I could do this. And I'd love to do this. And of course, I want to work for George. And so I'm driving over there to the Bel Air Hotel that morning. And I'm thinking, okay, the only way that George is going to like you or trust you is if you never say these two things in the same sentence, the word star and the word wars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I never did. I didn't mention Star Wars through the entire, what ended up being like a two hour breakfast. Wow. wow. Where we were just nice. geeking out about technology and emerging yeah. technologies and, yes. and, and everything but Star Wars, right? And so I'm driving home from this meeting thinking, oh man, I don't know. Did he like, whatever. And Jay calls up and he says, I don't know what you did, but he loved you. And, and, and apparently you, you know, and I, so I got on the phone with Fred Roos and he goes, yeah, you never mentioned star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, so from that point on, like for the rest of my career in Hollywood, anytime George and I would be at an event, because George is not like the most gregarious guy in the world. He wouldn't mm. like blasting out into a room and own the room by any, you know, like I was at the Batman uh, what was the second one? Uh, what was it called? Batman. Batman, Batman Returns. Yeah, Batman Returns. Mm -hmm. They had. They mm -hmm. had. Oh, the that's Mark's favorite one. <laughs> that's Mark's favorite the Batman party. The, the premiere party was on the set at Warner Brothers. That oh wow, oh nice. downtown Gotham set. Oh, and that's they cool. They had set up this huge thing for people to come, and and my friend Lisa Henson, who was a 
you know, I think maybe president at that time, or, or at least one of the main vice presidents of, of the studio invited me. And so I went and I'm, I'm you know, at the time my fiance and I uh, went and we, we, we get there and we're kind of walking around going, okay, uh, you know, this is awesome, but also I, you know, I, I didn't work on the film. I'm right. You know, and all of a sudden <clears throat> we get down you know, this kind of disco dance floor they've got going down on in, in Gotham square. And uh, there's George standing there. Um, and uh, his daughter, Amanda is standing with him. She goes, dad, I'm going to go dance. And, and, and she goes, you want to go dance? And we're like, I'm, I, you know, and George is like, no, no, you go. And, and <laughs> my fiance goes, I'll dance with you. And so they go off. And so George and I are standing there and he looks over, he goes, Hey Patrick, yeah. you know, and he, and, and so we just geek out on the dance floor, you know, we're, we're just on the Love side for like an hour, just going, I'm going to, about, you know, <laughs> the latest technologies. And that would just happen at other events. So we kind of, I mean, we knew each other, but didn't really, you know, I, was, I can't say I was, you know, like I didn't get invited over for barbecues. Or <laughs> right, right, right. But Fine. did you, did you ever mention the fact that you had seen, like you were one of the first people to see a rough cut of Star Wars? Well, what happened was when Gary and I decided to finally make the movie and, and, and did start making the movie, you know, Gary thought, you know, it's probably a good idea to call up George since I wanted to use a lot of material from Star Wars in the mm -hmm. movie. And so Gary calls up George and tells him about the film. And George said, it sounds fun. Let me know, you know, when you're done, show it to me, blah, 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 blah. Well, <laughs> at some point, I think it might've been, I'm guessing it was just after uh, we got it all cut together. And it must've been 2006 or 2007, because it was before we were invited by Lucasfilm to show the film at Star Wars. Star Wars Celebration 4 in Los Angeles. So must have been 2006, 2007. We had some other festival we were preparing for and we had a lot of Star Wars content in there and they wanted to know that we had permission to use it. So mm. I, I called up Gary or, and tried to find him and couldn't get him. He lives in or lived in London and he wasn't answering there. He wasn't answering emails. I called uh, you know, Tiffany, his daughter, who's a friend and, and, and she said, oh, he's in Russia were he's scouting locations on this other project and so but he was like in siberia you know mm -hmm. he's like oh my nothing mm -hmm. so he couldn't be found and we needed an answer so i i thought what am i gonna do i can't call george directly he probably won't pick up and if he does i don't know i'm gonna be how gonna you know so <laughs> so i called john who's you know best man at my wedding and vice versa john noel and i say john you have the rough cut of the film on your laptop could you you know because he'd done a couple of shots for us right and so he, i said could you ask george to take a look at the pertinent sequences that involve his material and and he goes yeah okay no problem and he literally went, went over to the big house at the ranch and knocked on george's mm -hmm. office door and george said come in and he said uh, Patrick wants to know if he can use this uh, these sequences from this and that and the other and then in this movie that he and Gary have made and he shows him the stuff on his laptop and George sits back and looks at him and goes I think the answer is yes you know and was like again yes. wow. <laughs> so the, the next day we get this amazing letter from Lucasfilm Limited with from the lawyers nice. saying for the rest of all time throughout the universe you may use the following Star Wars materials and it was like wow 
Wow. Wow. That's you know, so cool. That's yeah. Do you incredible. still have that letter? Oh yeah, I do. For <laughs> nice. One, I love it. Nice. Do I need it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I, mean, I mean, I know George would confirm this, but if he gets like vacuumed up by alien flying <laughs> right. saucers, at least right. the voters will be able to look at this letter. So, um, I mean, the only thing, and George would understand this, the only slightly it's, it's it's as thrilling and maybe this tiny bit more thrilling was when the Kubrick family um, approved us using a clip from 2001 A Space Odyssey in the movie at the very beginning of the movie, which made us the second film in history after um, Willy Wonka to ever be allowed to use any footage from 2001 that wasn't wow. for like a documentary nice. news wow. program, um, which oh, was that's cool. truly amazing. And, yeah. um, you know, so... And that was thanks to Gary again, knowing Stanley and knowing the family and 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 Jan, you know, and the whole the gang and, and right. So we luckily they had watched the film and really liked it, and, and they you know said yeah, you can have that clip, and we're like wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So. I don't know where I, where I was going. Or well, where you were, <laughs> we were talking about the journey of the film and it's a long yeah. one. And I'm sure that's, you know, it's, it, well, there's so much to it. You, you started filming in, um, well, in 2004. I mean, I started it, writing it in 1999, finally got financing in late 2003, finally got shooting because we had to cast it, which was a whole other issue. Um, you know, originally um, the part of Pat was being played by a very, 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 very famous child actor who shall remain unnamed. <clears throat> really one of maybe the most famous child actors ever. Um, who writing this down filming we'll his parents <laughs> down. His play parents, a week play a guessing filming. game at home, everyone. <laughs> well, a week before filming, his parents said, Oh, you know what we've decided is um we want 50% of the profits or he's not showing up. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, are you putting in 50% of the money? Yeah. And they said, no. And I said, well, then you're not getting 50% of the profits. He's getting what you agreed to or, and they're like, okay, he's not coming. So now I'm a week out from shooting on my little goofy $120,000 movie at that point. Right. And wow. You know, when you're, when you don't have an actor and you're going to get shut down and you're that tiny, you probably are never, it's probably over. Like you're not going to make mm -hmm. the movie. Right. So did you have did you have backups that you were going to call? Yeah, or? We had put all our eggs into this particular <clears throat> basket. Um, yeah. uh, but something. Damn you, Leonardo DiCaprio! <laughs> no, 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 not no, Leo. Okay. All right, just but, all right, just throwing okay. that out. He would have been good, but he was too old at the time. This guy, oh, okay. had, got it, got this it. guy had been a child actor who had grown into the teeth and elbows period, you know, of right. of being an adolescent and was perfect for the part, mm. but. And anyway, and ended up never doing anything again of any real note. But um, anyway, probably because they always wanted fifty percent of the profits. Yeah, <laughs> well, that might have been it. Might, might have been a lot of bad doors. choices. But so in the meantime, my extras casting director, Cat White, um, said, "Well, what about John Francis Daly?" And I said, "Sam Weir? He's like nine. <laughs> and, and she goes, "That was ten years ago." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, my brain, because all I could see was this little guy running down the right, hall, yeah, right, from right. Freaks and Geeks. And I was yeah. like, "What are you talking about?" And she goes, "He's, you know, he's twenty now, you know." <laughs> and I, what? But oh, really? So they sent me his headshot, and I know John will laugh at this with me. He, um, 
John has something that he calls his Jufro, which is like this tight, tight, curly hair mm-hmm. that he always, you know, he says, you know, it doesn't work for a lot of parts. And it was it, it didn't matter that it was whether he was Jewish or not. It mattered. And it, it didn't really matter that he had tight, curly hair, except that we were we were trying to match um, photos and, and Super 8 movies mm-hmm. that I had that we could, you know, mm-hmm. and, and right. trying to get as close as possible, which is why my daughter Merrick actually agreed to actually cut her long, beautiful hair off, dye it blonde and put on boy clothes to play me in the opening scene in the theater in 2001. That's my daughter Merrick. No wow. Oh my gosh. And she's indistinguishable in that oh, look I didn't know that. from my yeah. childhood photographs. Huh. And wow. so we decided we were going to have to wig John and he agreed. <laughs> and so we had this really great wig created. And now you have to understand that wig for the next 18 years has been on not only John, but all the doubles, stunt doubles, mm-hmm. it, the, the new sequence at the beginning, the title sequence where the kid's nine years old, 10 years old, he's wearing the same wig. <laughs> the wig is yes. on every version yes. of throughout the film. There's even shots of the, <laughs> where I'm in the Pinto driving it, wearing the wig, but I have like a Charlie Brown head. So the wig is sitting up here like some little, like, like the pinhead kind of thing. And that, so that wig like deserves its own like, like category at the award. <laughs> so so important. And when you're going to buy a wig, don't go cheap. Go, yeah, yeah, no, you're gonna, yeah. You know, it, it was yeah. a beautifully done piece of, of wiggery because <laughs> you also you shot a good portion of the film but you left out like there's a half an hour sequence in los angeles that you didn't you couldn't well, what shoot. Happened, you, well we didn't ran shoot out of money right you, you what happened was we shot everything that takes place in lake county or most of it um that takes place in in, in you know rural illinois over a 30-day period for it was meant to be $120,000 to do the whole movie. We we ended up getting only about 80,000 of that. And then the investor who had put up the original money just kind of evaporated. And mm-hmm. we were like left with this movie with this half an hour hole in it. So it was like, we cut together the movie and a slug line that said, Pat goes to Hollywood that lasted 30 minutes. You know, and people were like, so we spent a year and a half, almost two years trying to find that money and we finally found, you know, through connections and 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 screenings and everything else. Sorry, I've got a cat that wants to invade as they do. <laughs> um, and we ended up, uh, you know, raising the. And these guys loved the movie so much. They said, "You need more than just another forty thousand dollars, don't you?" And I said, "Well, we could finish it for forty. And they said, "Yeah, but what do you really want to do?" Right. And once we all sat down and decided what we could do with that half hour and. And the fact that we had an appetite for music that was, as you know, from the film. So we we said, well, how about $750,000? And they said, sure. And they wrote the check right then and there. Wow. Wow. That's... And suddenly my $120,000 movie was a million dollar movie. And, wow. but by the time everything was done with that version and doing the stuff in Los Angeles and getting and cr- contracting for the music and everything, getting all those contracts together, we were still about, I don't know, 200,000, 300,000 short of being able to pay for the music. Right. We had a beautiful film. Right. We had people saying, well, just drop the music and just put some score in there or put some sound alikes in there. I said, you don't understand this movie. And I'm not being precious. I'm saying this movie relies on, it's part of its identity 
mm-hmm. is its soundtrack. It's not just, mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that. The the sequences and the feeling and the the entire kind of background of what's happening needs this music and it needs to be the real stuff. Mm-hmm. And that. luckily my investors- That's like being like, I made a pizza, but you know, I, we don't need who cheese. Needs sauce? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, so what? It'll be fine, right? Everybody's had pizza, just one of the cheese. Yeah, it's like, throw some, yeah, throw some onions and some mushrooms and some pepperoni on some dough, you're fine. But what about right. sauce? No, 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 right. no, we can't afford that. Right. So, yeah. right. so they said, look, just keep trying. And so for years, we did. And we had several other organizations come in and, and put in a little more money to do extra work and to upgrade visual effects here and there and to do other things. But none of them were ever willing to pay for the music. They kept saying, get rid of it. Who cares? And I just said, no, no. Wow. And so finally, now, meanwhile, um, Eric Wilkinson at MVD had I think I think he'd seen the film at Star Wars Celebration 4 in 2008. I think he came up to me after that screening, but if it wasn't there, it was very soon after. But he he came up and he said, we want to distribute your movie. And I said, okay, do you have $200,000, $300,000 to pay for the music? And he's like, no. <laughs> that conversation <laughs> happened again and again. Every year, at least once a year, he'd make a call saying, we really want your movie. And I said, do you have $200,000, $300,000? Mm-hmm. No, we don't. He's He's like, we got really great pepperoni. That's all I've got for you. <laughs> right. And suddenly, no suddenly still. in 2019, he, he, or 2020, uh, in, right in the, in the middle of COVID, um, he calls up and he goes, we want to distribute your movie. And I said, do you? And he goes, I do. I've convinced, you know, the Ed Seaman, the guy that was the head of the company, I've convinced him that this is a worthwhile endeavor and he's willing to pay for the music. And an additional, you know, amount of money for final editing and final post. Yes. And sound garlic and bread. Stuff. He went pizza and garlic bread. Yes. <laughs> yeah, garlic right. yes. And wings and cheese yes. sauce. Yes. Yeah. Extra ranch. That's yes. right. The whole yes. thing. The whole, you know, so <laughs> I, you know, I thought, oh, there's no way this is true, but it was. And they followed through awesome. and they papered the deal and they started sending money and we went and finished it. And here we are. That is awesome. That That is like, it's so great because I love how much you stuck to your guns to make the movie you wanted. I think that's so awesome and such a cool story. Absolutely. Because it just spent so long trying to get it made and certainly like money troubles. You know, we we talk a lot about New World Pictures movies. A financer deciding to suddenly disappear is something we talk about a lot when we talk (laughs) about the movies we talk about. But you stuck to your guns and you didn't mind the wait and you waited it out and got it made the exact way you wanted to. I think that's really cool. It was, it was something else. I mean, I, you know, it's funny, you know, New World Pictures, you know, I, <laughs> when I first got to town, that was a place you could go and get a job as a model maker or whatever, you know, and I, but I was trying to get out of all that and trying to get into writing. And I actually had a couple of meetings over there with the gang. Oh, really? Uh, stories that were in, the, in oh God, it would have been 1982 or three, you mm-hmm. know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, one of the things that happened recently, um, I reached out because Roger, I mean, everybody loves Roger. I mean, Gary worked with Roger on all those early pictures and, yep. you know, he started out there and, and we were, we were talking about how much fun it was when Jurassic Park was about to come out and Carnosaur was coming out <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Roger went on the tonight show to talk about Carnosaur and Johnny Carson 
said to him, now, aren't you a little worried uh, that uh, uh, Steven Spielberg is going to be a little upset with you for, you know, stepping on his toes a little? And, he, <laughs> and Roger says, if you see just one dinosaur movie this year, it should probably be Jurassic Park. <laughs> but if you see two. <laughs> and of course, Stephen loved that. Of course, yeah. everyone yeah. loved it. And of course, nobody cared that Roger was doing this. And, you know, I mean, everybody loved Roger so much. And he still, and they still do it. He's still out there. I actually yeah. reached out to them. I, I didn't get a response, but I kind of asked them if I could send the movie and see if he would say something like, if you see just one disaffected filmmaking geek trying to survive his childhood in a small town in America, you should probably see the fable. But if you see who, <laughs> but I ever heard. Him. So I just said it myself in my quote. Yeah, there you go. So you say so you thank you, you, Roger. First... <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you first uh, came out to LA, you did start working in miniatures, right? So oh, that's yeah. what you first started doing. That was my right? first job was 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 working for uh, Brick Price Movie Miniatures, which is now uh, Wonderworks. Uh, Brick and Laura Price and his gang of crazy pirates hired me on the spot one day. When I walked in, they had just fired somebody. And the next day, they were going to start interviewing somebody. And I was knocking on the door, this kid with a Ford Pinto and a bunch of goofy little models and sketchbooks and stuff under his arm. And they said get in here and i got hired on the spot you know which was crazy and so i nice. worked there for a couple of years and while i was working there i ended up uh, meeting a couple of really cool people who introduced me to other cool people and i ended up at some goofy hollywood party where somebody said hey patrick tell this guy over here he's got a deal at fox pitch that story you pitched me the other day that sci-fi thing and i pitched it this guy cassius weathersby and cassius had a three-picture deal at 20th Century Fox, and he said, meet me at Fox tomorrow, Friday morning, you know, uh, in the president of production, Richard Berger's office. I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> so I drive down there and I, I walk in and I, I, I've i never pitched to anyone before, right? And so I pitch, well, not the studio. And so I pitched to Richard Berger this, but I don't know how to pitch. I know how I pitch, mm -hmm, which comes right. from mm -hmm. theater, you know, forensics background. So I get up and act out my whole movie. I stand up in front of this guy and I say, we start in the Great Rift Valley and suddenly, you know, and I'm doing all these effects and I'm running around the room and I'm smashing things and boy, and taking my little models and flying them around this guy's head. And when it's over, like 20 minutes later, because a pitch should be like five minutes. Later, yeah. <laughs> when it's over, he's sitting there going. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, and, and Cash is like, what do you think? And, the, and Richard Berger just goes, and he reaches for his phone. He's doo, 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 doo. And like, oh my God, he's calling security, right? Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden he goes, get in here. And the door opens and David Madden, and if you know who David Madden is, or if you don't, you should look him up. But I mean, for a long time, many years later, he would end up running Fox Entertainment and AMC. Mm. And, you know, just he's, he walks in, but he's now a junior executive, like who has a closet for an office and he's in a threadbare suit with a yellow pad and a pencil. Like, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> and he sits down and, and, and Richard Berger goes, do, do the, do the thing again, do that. <laughs> so I do the whole thing again. When it's over, Richard looks at David and David's sitting there and he's like, no, no. And I'm like, oh, I'm all this way. I got this. Oh phone. no. He goes, don't give him a deal. And I'm like, what? And he goes, rent a theater, 
put him in it and charge people to watch him do that. <laughs> so he goes, oh, no. and so they both stand up, they grab me and they drag me down the hallway at Fox to Sherry Lansing's office, who's the president, the first female president of the studio. They blast past the secretary. She's not really, uh, you know, and they walk into her office and shove me in front of her. Sherry Lansing is sitting at her desk in a full-on high school cheerleader, cheerleader's outfit. The skirt, the, the, the tunic, the thing, the, the saddle shoes, the pom-poms, hair done up, makeup, and, and she's like in her chair like this. And she goes, what? <laughs> and, we're like, and I'm thinking, what? Where am I? And she goes, oh, sorry. I'm, I just came back from the TAPS rap party. I went as one of the military college cheerleaders. <laughs> wow. She had just come from the rap party uh -huh. the night before. Oh, my gosh. And had never changed. Yeah. Right? Wow. So she goes, what? And she was hung up. I mean, she said, what? And, yeah. and they said, do the thing. Do the, you know? So I started doing it again, right? Third time in the same day. Oh, my gosh. And she's like looking at me and looking at me and looking at them. And she, I get about five minutes into it. And she goes, stop. She goes, do you believe in him? And they said, yes. She goes, give him a deal. Goodbye. Right. Yes. Wow. That is. So then they walk yes. me down. Now they're walking me down the hallway, and it's like close encounters with the, you know, the the officials walking Roy Neary to the mothership. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have any liver disease? Do have you ever been, you know? No, I mean they're basically asking <laughs> right, questions. Right. Like, do you have an agent? Do you, you know, who's your right. lawyer? You know. And meanwhile, how old are you? And I'm like 19, and like, <clears throat> you know, they just live. They like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm 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 19, and they're like, you can't tell anyone that. From here on in, you're in your 20s, late 20s. And I said, why? They said nobody hires writers under 30. It just isn't done. <laughs> this is 1982 in Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. And they were serious, and I was like, why? And they because you know you guys know what you're doing there's no experience now nobody hires writers over 30 you know so yeah. right but so they yeah. march me down they i give them all the information it was like going like getting a driver's license you know and I, they hand me a contract right to write my first studio feature so and then you know it went on through the development hell that all things go through but sure uh, just an amazing introduction to hollywood that's for sure, sure. That is awesome. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to digest this. Yeah, thing. I think I love that story. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people have that same introduction to Hollywood. <laughs> it's oh, true. No, it's true. and 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 may may never again. It was a different time. I mean, mm -hmm. the fact that Star Wars had come out uh, suddenly, studios were on fire for anyone who had anything like it. Anything, mm -hmm. you know, sci-fi went from something in the corner to we want one. Mm -hmm. We want a Star Wars, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what mm -hmm. they thought they were going to get with this little project with me. But then the studio got bought and the executives were all thrown away and we were put into turnaround and I was back in the model shop and all the model makers going, hey, hey, you're not a writer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you go then from model making and working that and then going into dead heat? How do you, how, do, how does that transition happen? So through some, and I, you know, it's really funny is that the actual introduction to, to uh, David Halpern and Michael Meltzer who produced Dead Heat 
I'm not sure where it came from. And I think it was a crew member. I think it was, I think I was recommended by somebody they had talked to about doing visual effects and supervising the effects on the film. And they said they couldn't do it, but we know a guy, he's a young writer, director, but he's a model maker and he worked in visual effects and he knows how to, you know, so they, they brought me in and I interviewed with them and they liked me and I liked them. And, and I ended up becoming their sort of right hand in, in not just in overseeing the visual effects, but, but also helping them with design aspects and hell, I ended up co-writing the end theme song as well. Yeah, I know. I know. I just was it, watching the credits today. It, I was like, wait, you wrote that song? Yeah. <laughs> and it, only because I, you know, I was one of those kids that would like try to, you know, if there was a open vacuum space of some kind, I would try to fill it, you know, and it, it was like, oh, you have a problem here. Let me fix it. Right. And it was there. I mean, I think what, what made them trust me more than anything was there was a moment where the film had gone so far behind schedule just because it was a very difficult film to do on a budget. Um, no, everybody was doing a great job and Mark Goldblatt was doing a great job as a director. The problem was it just was too much to do in the schedule they had. And at a certain point they came to Mark and they said, Mark, we've got to cut a day or two out of the schedule in order to make, you know, to finish on time and on budget and get, you know, new, new, new line or new world, sorry, won't, won't allow us any, you know, mm -hmm. leeway here. And so they said, they, they, then the, all, they came up with the idea. I don't think it was me, although it might've been. I, they came up with the idea that maybe the butcher shop sequence could be a second unit scene. And Mark's like, no, 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 that'll never work. It, it's got the first unit actors all through it. And they're like, well, what if we leave Patrick here at night after you were shooting first unit on other shots on the other part of the stage and you just leave the lights and leave the stuff, leave the costumes and, and the actors, they'll have to work more hours. We'll have to pay them more, but he can shoot all the stuff for the butcher shop scene. And, you know, Mark was like, ah, but I want to shoot it. You know, it's key Luke and it's, you know, it's all these cool people. And it's, and, and they're like, do you want it in the movie? You know, you designed it, you storyboarded it. It's still your sequence. Pat's just going to put it on film, you know? And so he, and he and I sat down and talked about it and he felt confident that I could pull it off. And he gave me two nights and a, and a crew and we went to town and, and shot that crazy scene. And then ironically and weirdly and somewhat embarrassingly, when the movie came out, you know, it got some fun reviews and some, it got slagged a little bit because it is yeah. what it is. You right. know? Sure. Um, sure. I mean, I think they all, everyone expected it. Not, you know, as and, you know, Pauline Kale wasn't going to call it the film of the year, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It really was done. But unfortunately, weirdly, I mean, it was fortunate for me in the long run, but I felt really weird at the time. There were a couple of reviews who said, you know, this movie's what it is and whatever. But then all of a sudden in the middle of the movie, there's this one scene that's so good. It's like somebody else directed it. it was like but <laughs> they were i mean mark was gracious about it you know i mean i didn't have all the pressure of an entire movie to pull off i just sure, had sure. sequence to pull off mm -hmm. and a lot of bravado and a lot of youth and a lot of energy and you know and the full support of the whole team and, and including the actors the the a-list actors who showed up and you know the, the and it was it was magnificent. I mean, it, it allowed me that one clip of that scene, plus my script for, for Martians, which would become Space Invaders, uh, plus a couple of, you know, storyboards and paintings and miniatures and sculpts is what got me funding to do Space Invaders, you know, so...
so it, so it was it's unusual too for like a second unit to also work with the main cast like how were they very unusual with? not not unheard of but sure but at the time not as likely as it would be now nowadays the main cast might be working with a second or third or fourth unit sure on a marvel movie you never know right um, right but back then it was kind of rare yeah and i i felt really honored i ended up making friends with <laughs> with all of them in fact uh um treat williams who had been sort of barred from flying helicopters while he was working on the film because he's a helicopter pilot and a helicopter pilot instructor huh. he was so just done by the end of our our shoot that and we kept talking about helicopters all the time and he just the last night of, of shooting on the second unit he looks at me it's like i don't know two in the morning and he says johnson van nuys airport 6 a.m be there we're going up <laughs> I said, really? So I show up, and that it's a bigger story for another time. But he took me on the most hair-raising helicopter flight I've ever been on in my life. Wow! It was hysterical and funny and awesome, and he's a great. Oh my pilot. god! You have to tell us that story I, another time. Yeah, yes. that's amazing. We'll, we'll do that another time. Maybe we'll yes. Get, maybe we'll get treat to come on. But um, it was yes. Get treat. And, I'll get a no sauce pizza. Let's do this. <laughs> And Lindsay, um, who, you know, Frost, who who is lovely and great in the film, we had such a good time working together that she invited me as her date to the rap party. Wow. So, wow. Nice. I, I, there's nothing like being a low man on the totem pole on a movie that where everybody's looking at the lead actress like, nah, nah, you know, and all of a sudden <laughs> you show up at the rap party and she's got you on her arm, you know, it was like, okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So uh, I, I have to ask, uh, and this, uh, this could be a very short answer, but Dead Heat, for better or worse, was one of the, really one of the key inspirations for us creating this entire podcast because we watched that movie <laughs> mm -hmm. on VHS back in the day, many, many times over. And the rumor, now this is sort of pre-ish internet, or at least decent okay. internet, was, mm -hmm. at the time, was that Joe Piscopo really wanted nothing to do with it. Now, I've never seen or read anything about that since, you know, it, now that we have director's commentary, I did watch the director's commentary, the Blu-ray today, I watched your interview today, but I, I haven't found any proof of that. So is that, can we finally dispel that as, as just a rumor of the 90s? <laughs> Look, do I think... I think that maybe when he first was offered it or whatever, or when he first heard about it, he was like, eh, I don't want to do, you know what I mean? Cause he was still not at the top of his game, but he was, you know, he yeah, was still yeah. a wanted commodity. Certainly. Um, he had his HBO, yeah, spe he, he had a big comedy special. He'd just come off of Saturday yeah. Night Live. He didn't ever, ever say like, cause you know, some precious actors can do that. They can mm -hmm. say, what the fuck am I doing on this film? Blah, 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 you know? Yeah. He never did anything like that. He never acted like that. He gave 110%, with which Joe is about 150%. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> um, and, and and he was very pleasant. He was, you know, he, he had his needs and he wanted his gym sure. and he wanted his, you know, he had- Yeah, he, he had a, a mobile truck, right? That, yeah, that, he had a that... whole trailer just for his workout routine and the whole thing. And But he was never more than, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think I ever saw him lose his temper. I don't think I ever saw him get, precious with people um other people i saw you know but a bit, like, same thing with like vincent price i mean vincent was a mm -hmm. legend um but couldn't have been 
a cooler guy, um, yeah. especially me. I mean, he was, he treated me like a, a little, I don't know, like a, not a son, but he, he was, I, I was the body under the, the Mylar blanket on the resurrection machine going to, and it was on this sharp chrome plastic grating. So I'm banging my head and my arms up and down on this grating and we do a take of it. And and Vincent's like, oh, oh, wait, stop. Somebody get him a pillow for his head. He's he's banging his head out. You bring some, a blanket or something, you know, and he put it under my head and, you know, there you go, my boy, you know, come in and put the blanket over me. I mean, wow. And it was uh, my mother, uh, obviously a main character in 52577, was the biggest Vincent Price fan in the universe. Now, one day it was her birthday and I'm on the stage phone wishing her a happy birthday. And Vincent's walking towards me, towards his trailer between takes. And I thought, you know, God, I don't, I don't, I should, I, well, okay. (laughs) So, and I thought, I, and I had talked about her a little bit to him because they both had an interest in dogs and terriers. She raised Airedale terriers and he had a, some terriers and blah, blah, blah. So he's walking towards me. I think, you know what? This is once in a lifetime opportunity. And I said, I just cut the phone. I said, mom, hang on. I got to do something. And I said, Mr. Price. He goes, yes, son. What, 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 what can I do? And I said, I said, look, it's my birthday and she's been your biggest fan since she did like you know uh, uh, you know the song of bernadette and she you know and, and and if you could just maybe see how and he goes what's her name and i said janet and he goes oh give me the phone and he goes janet and, and i you know and and he goes vincent price <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and from the phone and he goes oh yes Oh, I've heard so much about you. So, how is your day? Happy birthday! And he and he, and he, and he goes, well, "You tell me. I hear you raise Airedale terriers." And <gasps> it's taking thirty seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. They were on the phone for like fifteen minutes. Wow. I finally had to go. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, I did like drag him off. They were just laughing and talking about modern art and talking about. Airedales and talking about you know and it was of course she was just catatonic afterwards and just like <laughs> oh my, oh my gosh great president in my life you know so that's so cool such a great guy such a great now guy. you also you create you helped design that whole room right the resurrection yes. room they they a bunch of designs had been done and they were done by people who are very talented art directors and production designers but they just weren't and this happens a lot when you're you know, you can hire an amazing production designer and amazing art directors and that sort of th- stuff to work on your film. But there's a language to science fiction that some people have and some people don't. Mm-hmm. And the the stuff that was being turned in, everybody agreed. It just didn't feel, it, in other words, while the rest of the movie has a really nice sense of production design, it's really well done. These drawings that were coming in and these ideas that were coming in were to everyone, the producers, the director and, and, and me, um, just you know because i was going to have to help make sure that the effects worked integrated with them and the, the whole thing and so i said can i just have a stab at it and so i went home that weekend and did some charcoal drawings and some marker drawings and and came up with the room with the sliding you know monolithic columns and the t- center table and the the rods that would that come up out of the grating and that kind of thing and uh, you know luckily both the production designer and the producers and the director all said yeah that's it you know, and, and then went wow. and built that beautiful. I mean, they did a great job on that set. Yeah, it looks amazing. I'm very proud of that design. That was a, it was a lot of fun to see that come to life. 
Again, this is just you just finding, oh, is there something that needs There's to be done? Vacuum. Let me, let me, let me, let me it. take it. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> yes. And you did the, the theme song. So we were just we were talking about that. But how did you get in the room to just write the theme song? Okay. So this is, you know, I look, first of all, I'm a big Devo fan, right? I'm a huge Devo fan. And Devo had already been contracted without anybody, not my knowledge or anybody else's knowledge, to write what wasn't really Devo it was Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh mm-hmm. oh, right. contracted sure. to write a, a, a song. And one day in post-production, we got a call saying he's ready to d- play the demo for us. So we go down to Marina Del Rey to his studio and we go in and we sit down and he starts playing it. And, and it's, <laughs> it's, a great Mark Mothersbaugh song. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really was. I mean, yeah, it was right. like, I'm I, mean, sure. I, I yeah. sat there because I was junior stuff. I was the guy in the back, but nobody said anything when it was over. I mean, they kind of went, okay, cool. Thanks. All right. We'll be back. We got to run. Got to go to lunch. Uh, we'll talk to, you know, and it was very awkward. And we all walked out to the car and they all got in the car and I'm sitting in the back seat wedged between two other producers and thinking, this is awkward nobody likes this song and nobody liked the song mm-hmm. they just it's not that they didn't think it was a cool song it's just that it just didn't seem to have anything to do with the film yeah or yeah. the tone of the film maybe right because it didn't it, the your the theme song that you know that you help write then that it doesn't sound different from the the music of the movie well because the guy who wrote the music from the movie Phil Settle was the key musical writer of the song. Okay, good. I, okay. I wrote, I came up with a concept, wrote the lyrics, and then uh, and Kirk Thatcher uh, helped out. Uh, my 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 good. If you know who Kirk is, uh, Kirk is a famous uh, director for the Muppets and one of my oldest friends. And he's also he was the punk on the bus in Star Trek Four. And oh, uh, very cool. <laughs> nice. You know, he's a he's just an amazing dude. But. Um, he and I and Phil Settle did this and, you know, we wrote this song and performed it. I'm singing back, get background vocals and you know, Phil's playing keyboards <laughs> wow. and, and, and Kirk is singing background. And it's, it was just, it was a really kind of amazing thing. Um, and I, I didn't, it, so we played it for the producers and, you know, for David and, and, and Michael and the director and they all loved it. But what, what's funny is that, at, I remember at the casting crew screening because there's a cameo. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Shane Black, who's uh, you know the brother of the writer. Yeah, Terry Black, right? Right. So Terry, so Shane and I actually play firemen uh, in this one scene. Well, actually, Shane plays a cop. He plays a cop. He's a and, motorcycle and, cop. And in that same scene, I can't remember who the other guy was. This other guy and I play firemen. Who are like, you know, look at it, Mortis get up out of the, you know, out of the wreckage, and and uh, and Shane was seated right in front of in front of me at the premiere of the movie, and when when it was all over, the credits were rolled, and the song was over. I at one point I lean over to Shane and I say, "How about that end title theme song?" <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, "Yeah, oh my god," <laughs> he goes, "He goes, well, I guess." anything fits if you can get you know, over wedge it in you know i'd worked on it yeah yeah i guess you're right I, it, was, it was a really fun production i mean look 
not only did I have a lot of fun and get a lot of my creative juices going because I got to design that set, I got to supervise effects, I got to do the song, I got to, you know, there was so many, you know, cool. I met my first wife on that movie, you know, Carolyn Pham, you know, who was a, a, a PA on that movie. And uh, we, you know, so that movie was a, a real life changer. Um, wow. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I love it. I, I, I would, I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> <laughs> did you supervise more of the effects than just that deli scene like you you supervised oh yeah no i was the overall visual effects supervisor and uh, you know look did i supervise uh uh steve johnson and his team kinda but not really what i did was mm -hmm. was just keep an eye on them not that mm -hmm. they really i mean steve's a genius and his team were amazing my job was to really make sure just to kind of you know check on progress and make sure everything was integrating into actual visual effects which i you know brought in some other people to do the actual opticals but they did have to inter interoperate and i had to kind of just you know air traffic control that a little bit but really mm -hmm. my job which is why i was able to spend time coming up with other things like i did all the computer graphics in the room as well because at the time computer graphics yeah. graphics at least at that level were were really low rent yeah sure you know, we just used like an old Amiga and did some weird oscillating, you know, <laughs> crazy graphics and stuff, you know, just my father was a physician. So he gave us all kinds of really cool, you know, background information to put into the graphics and everything. So um, now it was, it was a great experience and I'm still good, you know, very close to, uh, to Michael and David and, you know, they're, you know, the good friends and, so we we talked about how the movie was was uh, how it was embraced as it came, once it came out. Were you? It didn't get a lot of promotion. Were you? Were you aware of that? And were you sort of surprised by that? Um, I don't know if I was surprised as I as I remember, and maybe I'm. I thought I remembered that right about the time the movie was kind of being wrapped up in post, the the company was going through some some real upheaval. Mm -hmm. And the idea, I remember hearing discussions about them feeling like there probably wouldn't be much support mm. just because there was no money and they weren't, they didn't believe in it. The, you know, uh, so I don't, I don't think I ever saw a TV commercial for it or a, I don't remember seeing a trailer in a theater. I, you know, it was almost as if, even though that wasn't a thing at the time, it was like being treated like something that should go direct to video, you know? Which is unfair because it's a really fun film, and, and it is. And and look, Darren McGavin's in it, Vincent Price is in it. I mean, there's some great, you know, so many great bits and parts and roles for people. And Darren was awesome in it, you know, and yeah. such a fun yeah. guy too. What a cool dude! I was so happy to to get to work with him as well. So, and you sort of still stuck with New World in a way because you'd then work on Warlock. Right, which and that came as a direct result of my work on Dead Heat, um, and and I'm not again. I think I have to believe that Steve Miner simply asked because he was in the same building. Um, we were all in the same. I guess it was the old Lionsgate building in Venice or, or in uh, Marina del Rey, um, and Steve had offices that where he was doing his pre-production uh, on warlock and i think he just went down and talked to michael and david and said hey you like this kid is he any good you blah blah blah, blah. and 
they gave me a good reference and he said, all right, come aboard, you know? So off I went, you know, which was, that was another adventure that was, you know, from which, I mean, it was a very different kind of experience um, because there, there, there were vacuum spaces to fill, but they were not mine to fill. Um, <laughs> sure. You sure. Know, Steve, Steve was a more, Uh, he's a great director he's a, and a lovely guy but he was also very territorial okay. mm. about directing you know i think because he directed a lot before and on david heat we had you know steve uh who you know or uh, sorry mark goldblatt who um who who had not and yeah, was looking right. for assistance and answers wherever mm -hmm. he could find them so I was used to filling in those blanks with with Mark and and, and him not only allowing it but enjoying it. Right. And so suddenly I'm like Steve, what you need is what you and it'd be like, hey, one director in this movie, okay, you know, and which is totally fair, but it wasn't right. I had just gone through an epic journey where I was filling in blanks, and here I was not needed to fill in blanks, or or rather, I it was not thought that I was needed. <laughs> right. Um, well and Steve at the time was coming off of like two of New World's like biggest successes because he yeah. had directed House and Soul Man. And so yeah. he came in to Warlock and I believe started rewriting the script and then oh, yeah. you know, working with David Tuohy and they started rewriting the script. So he was like very much, I, th I mean, from what I understand, very much New World's sort of golden boy. boy. No, yeah. he was, he was yeah. their, their great hope, I think. Um, and, and look, he, he was, you know, measured and smart and, and, and knew how to certainly knew writing and, 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 and directing. And, um, you know, in the visual effects world, it was one of those things where there were times that I didn't agree with his approach. And there were times when I thought, oh, no, that's really exactly what you ought to do. And I just, you know, I'm an emperor's new clothes kind of guy. So I, I would always tell him what I believed. Sometimes that was what he wanted to hear. And sometimes it was exactly not what he wanted to hear. And ultimately he always, you know, made the choice that worked best for him, but he was never anything less than kind and fair and cool about it. He never blew mm -hmm. his top or anything like that. Um, you know, he was, um, you know, he had a lot of pressure on him. I think, I think Warlock might've been the biggest budgeted film they'd done ever. Yes. Yes. For by, New World. Might be the by, highest yeah, budgeted film New World ever did. Yeah. Yeah. So the pressure was really high. Um, but he had a great team, a lovely cast. I mean, I mean, R Richard E. Grant and I are still friends to this day based on that. And Richard E. Grant's one of the coolest guys in the world. I mean, at the end of production, he gave an envelope to every single crew member. And I'm talking about from Steve to the craft service guy, to the person cleaning the honey wagons, every single person got an envelope. And in the envelope was a, a card from him, a thank you card. And inside the card was not only a personal note that referenced some moment that he remembered, it also had a beautifully drawn, because he's a great artist, caricature of you, of whoever you were. Wow. Every single crew member, every single wow. person. I mean, it was just, he couldn't have been a cooler dude and i remember david tui and i and 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 richard uh, when we were in boston shooting uh at uh you know at the plymouth plantation right we, and we had a couple of days and a couple of nights in in boston and we i remember we decided the three of us to go out and see the eddie murphy concert movie that was out at the time and go to like legal seafood for dinner and we had 
the most insanely fun, drunken, goofy night. <laughs> we went to dinner first, of course, drank our asses off, and then went to see the Eddie Murphy film and just just losing our minds laughing because it was a great film. And and it was the three of us just cutting up and being stupid with each other. It was it was a fun time. It was those were good days. Yeah. And so you worked on some of the visual effects for that movie. Did you work on just that that opening sequence, like the the, the opening, or you you did a, several things throughout the I, movie? I built I built the tower. The, well, I shot the plates at Plymouth right. Plantation, the background plates into which we would put the tower. I then built the miniature of the tower, uh, and then a Perpetual Motion Pictures shot and composited those things. Richard Malzen and my other friends over there, who were great guys and did a great job, um, and I had worked with them on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, I, I you would, so that, would you did you do that before or after? No, it had to have been just after, I guess. I think it. Well, let's see. Bill and Ted's was eighty four, right? I think, and I, it, it's it's and close. Warlock, to, I think, was eighty three, right? It's eighty nine. They're both eighty nine. So though Warlock doesn't really come out in the states in eighty nine, it came out overseas, and then it doesn't come out in the U S. till. Uh, oh, you're right. Oh my. Okay. All right. Now I know why I'm. Okay, never mind. Uh, it's I'm just getting old. That's all. <laughs> but but no, no, no on that one. That's right. So okay, so I'm trying to think what which one would have been for. I have to. I think I did the work on Warlock in ahead of Bill and Ted, and then right when I was done with it, took on uh, Bill and Ted. Yeah. I think Bill and Ted, who actually had also some people that had worked on some New World movies. Oh, Steve yeah. Eric had been an yeah. editor and stuff. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And Bill and Ted's, I was in charge of building the, the the phone booth, the miniature phone booth, and the miniature Bill and Ted and all the historical figures out of Menudo figures transmogrified into them because they were the <laughs> they were the right scale. <laughs> and if, and if that is amazing frame, if you freeze frame the, the comings and goings of the of the phone booth you can absolutely see where the miniature starts or and ends and the real one begins and and see these little you know, like, <laughs> and all, all all like crammed in and there's no way all those fit, people would fit into the phone booth right anyway but that's amazing so cool you know you mentioned that dead heat didn't get a lot of support and Warlock was a much bigger budget. Was there a sense that Warlock was going to be, this was going to be the movie that that kind of righted the ship a bit, gave him a little bit of runway to work on some some more stuff? Was there kind of, was there a lot of, I guess, hope and inspiration around uh, Warlock? I would, I don't know what happened in the boardrooms at, at, at New Line at the time, but um, I would say that, I, I would say that maybe New Line believed in it more than a lot of the people working on it believed it uh, in it. In, in you know, like mm. Star Wars, I mean, there were. It wasn't nearly as happy a set as Dead Heat. Oh, okay. okay. Dead Heat was just fun, 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 all of the time. A lot of humor, a lot of. I mean, there was humor and fun on on Warlock as, as well, no question. Um, and and I thought Steve was doing a really good job, and and I thought his entire team were all doing a job. There were there were some issues. For example, Warlock got unionized, or or whether I think it finally got unionized. We got basically busted by the union as an independent film, and and mm. 
organized it. I don't know. I can't remember whether it actually took or not, but it became an issue. So there was that drama. There was some frost between some of the actors. Uh, there was, you know, Julian Sands, for better or for worse, wasn't as liked as maybe he would have liked to be liked. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, um, whereas Richard was beloved and he was the second banana. Yeah. At least that's yeah. the way some people thought. And, you know, I, I'm not, I didn't have as much fun, obviously, because I didn't have as many vacuum spaces to fill. Yeah, uh, sure. I didn't get to wear, <laughs> spin as many plates as I would have liked. Um, but, you didn't but, get to write the theme not, song. That, that was did, a bummer. <laughs> but I met so many cool people and I really, and I admire Steve a lot. And I don't, I don't have ill feelings towards Steve because sure. he, because he didn't have openings to fill you know that meant he covered right. his bases really well just meant that i i when it came down to the actual work that i had to do most of it ultimately involved sort of supervising some optical stuff um i didn't particularly agree with the with what the protoplasm or the ectoplasm looked like because mm -hmm. to me it looked like silly putty it was fleshy colored and to me it needed to be more like a kind of I don't know, like glow in the dark, silly putty, greenish, yellowish, you know, mm -hmm. weird, almost like I hate to say it, but almost like you know, the devil's mucus or something. Yeah. And totally. instead it looked more like a fleshy thing. So it didn't feel ephemeral to me. It felt physical. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he didn't mm -hmm. want to hear it. And that, you know, he had what he had in his head. And, and, and look, I think it, it all works. It, it, um, I had problems, you know, I love David Toohey, but I still had problems with some of the script. I, you know, I, there were, but I think the biggest issue was, was in a, in a weird way, they achieved a lot of stuff they shouldn't have been able to achieve on that budget. But at the same time, they were kind of at this weird juncture between what could have been done maybe just a couple of years later and mm -hmm. what was being done there, you know? Right. Um, and again, there were certain things that I said, oh man, what, what if you were to, and they just, they already knew what they wanted. They'd gone down the road. Right. Um, doesn't mean I would have done any better by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think there are a lot of great moments in the film that, that, that are Steve's to take credit for. And, you know, um, but, uh, but I think it was, I think it was just a weird time for the company. And it was, a weird, yeah. you know, and I think, and I think that, some of the the things that maybe Steve would have liked to have done or done differently, he couldn't because of that weirdness and because of yeah. the pressure of the budget and the whole thing. So I, you know, I don't want to talk out of turn. I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of that movie nearly as well as I know, because I mean, uh, Arnold Copelson, you know, I knew him a little bit, but I didn't know him like I knew David and, and Michael on, on right. Deadpool, who were mm -hmm. like friends. Right like we'd yeah. hang out you know and uh, <laughs> and so i i knew all of the backstory and all of the you know underlying things that were going on on that film so but yeah i, I mean we know that you weren't going around boston getting drunk with the new world executives but it but you were saying that you did think that they they had a, a certain sense of like warlock being a bigger film for them you thought they that, is that was that your impression well i again interestingly on Dead Heat, I, I I met and talked to more executives than I I don't think I ever talked to a New World executive ever on on Warlock. 
Um, right. I, they just weren't there. And the reason they weren't there was because Arnold was there. You know, right. Arnold was right. the 100 pound, you know, 500 pound gorilla that was protecting Steve from the executives, which might be another reason why there was so much tension. Mm -hmm. Because while that was giving Steve some deflection and some, some, some shielding from interference, it may have also caused more, I don't know, animus or, 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 or some some tension between you know new world trying to peek over the hedges and <laughs> right. with the clippers going get down bam get, get down. <laughs> and arnold was great i mean he 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 ran a, a good ship and he wanted people to have a good time you know steve is also a really he's a funny guy he's dry but he's a very funny guy and 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 he likes his crew and he treats everybody well and he was you know it was, it was a real pleasure to work for him but he's not i wouldn't call him like gregarious i wouldn't call him you know i mean for better or for worse i mean you know mark goldblatt was just a goofy fun dork like <laughs> right, the rest of us right steve was a little more removed than that because he mm -hmm. was in his head and mm -hmm. he was processing a lot of stuff and again i'm yeah. not judging that as being better or worse i'm just saying it's a it's a different experience yeah i guess it sets two different tones yeah, for an yeah, experience and yeah exactly and 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 you know for the actors i think it might have been the right tone for a movie like this that mm -hmm. had some pretty heavy shit in it you know i mean yeah. there was some, yeah i mean the moment with you know killing the kid and all mm -hmm. that there's some stuff in there that's yeah it's pretty dark you know yeah yeah and with dead heat it was all literally tongue-in-cheek and not necessarily your tongue you know so. <laughs> <laughs> zombie tongue you know so. so you you'd said earlier too that you were taking around like your script and the work you'd done in dead heat and trying to shop that around to make space invaders Did, was it basically going to new world at that point felt like it doesn't i shouldn't i don't shouldn't even i didn't, I didn't I didn't go to them for a couple of reasons. I, I didn't go to them because partially because I had not really developed any kind of relationship with them over the course of those two movies. Also, I felt it would be uncool to Steve and to Mark and to, or to, to, to David and Michael to sort of just platform myself off of these two jobs and start trying to take resources, I, even if it, and that might not have been true. They might've been like, yeah, go for it. But I just mm. felt icky about yeah. saying, yeah, I know I worked on your movies, but anyway, I just didn't, it just didn't feel right. So I didn't, I never went to them. Um, I went to the people I knew at the studios. And the funny thing was I would go around with all this, with this little circus of this 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 dog and pony show of posters and paintings and storyboards and a Martian sculpture and little spaceship miniatures and and I'd act out the movie and I'd do this whole thing. And they all said, This is great. What do you want to do it? And I said, I just want two million dollars. And they'd be like, No. <laughs> and they're like, is that too much? And they're like, No, nobody could do this movie for two million dollars. This is a 15, 20 million dollar movie minimum. And I said, No, 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 no. I don't want that much money. And they're like, well, you need that much or mm -hmm. it will never get done. And I said, no, no, I if John Knoll and my buddies and my model maker friends and all my, we can do this. And they're like, no, you can't. And I remember <laughs> we, I was, I mean, we went to uh, Disney at one point and Jeffrey Katzenberg said, 
I love this. It's great. But it's got to be Ernest meets the Martians. If you remember Ernest. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, we do. And meanwhile, we were playing footsie with DeForest Kelly to play Old Man Wrenchmuller. Wow. Which, of course, would have been insanely great. So cool. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But by the time we got our act together, he was on another Star Trek film, so we couldn't get him. But we got Royal, who's amazing. And that was it, awesome. yeah, Royal Dano, House and, 2. And, and a uh, wonderful human mm -hmm. being. Just a wonderful human being. And and so they said, look, if you'll do Ernest Meets the Martians, we'll make this. We'll give you $15 million. And I was like, I, I don't want $15 million. And I don't want Ernest Meets the Martians. Hmm. I mean, I get it. I get the programming of that, mm -hmm. but that's sure. not the movie we were making. Even I mean, how do you movie... integrate Vern into that well, whole scenario? You could, you could yeah. do it. I mean, Vern's <laughs> a farmer. Or is, or he inherits a farm from his grandfather. You know? and, and, and it could I could have done it, but it but there was a there was an innate sweetness that I wanted to be at the bottom of Martians beyond its silly goofy cheesy at all cost there was there was a there was a kind of emotional truth under it all mm -hmm. uh -huh. which is why i wanted ariana richards and it's why i wanted you know i wanted real mm -hmm. actors that that yes they're being stupid and they're being silly and they're saying some of the most inane stuff in the world but under the surface they really mean well and yeah. i just didn't want it to become weirdly enough a total parody right if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so i you know i stuck to my guns and and later of course jeffrey katzenberg ended up buying the movie you know because <laughs> steven liked it so much he called jeffrey and said you gotta buy this movie because oh my god you know I <laughs> so you know and he didn't was, make you put Ernest into it which is no, fantastic no no i mean they tried to make me reshoot like half of it but we didn't really well, the thing was, is they, they got it. Steven liked it so much. He and Max, I guess, watched it in the Amblin Theater when they got a chance to see it. And they, they called up Disney and said, and he called up Jeffrey. He said, you got to just buy this, slap a touchstone title on it, put it in theaters. You're going to be fun. This is a really fun little film. The problem was, is that the Disney executives under Jeffrey all kind of were like, well, this movie's low rent. It's too, it's way beneath this. You know, this it, we got to gussy it up. We got to mm -hmm. polish it, make mm -hmm. it a Disney mm -hmm. film, put it through the Disney process. So they hired another editor to come in and recut it, who obliterated it. It went from like a 95 test score to like a 36 in like two weeks by mm -hmm. them recutting it. And they just, they weren't getting it. And we were going to do reshoots. We hired back the crew. We rebuilt the spaceship and the sets and the costumes. We got everything. We, we, we spent another 70, no, another $175,000 just on getting wow. it ready to shoot some pickups and stuff. Yeah. And then on Thanksgiving, like the night before Thanksgiving, they fired everybody and said, you know what? We don't need to spend this money. We're just going to release it. And, but, but. That was also after I'd gone into one of the executives' office because it had taken like six months to get to this point. And I said, what are you doing to my film? Why don't you just release it? It was good enough for Steven. I think it's good enough for America. And, and they're like, wait, you want to just release it as it was? And I was like, yes. Is that an option? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> we thought we were helping. And, you, and you're like, you weren't. <laughs> wow. anyway so they released what they had and it made a thousand percent of its money back 
It was actually wow. what in the in the Disney stockholders report that year. They said we need to make less movies like, and they listed some big disaster they had released in 1990. Um, less movies like this and more like Space Invaders, which only cost you know two million dollars and made twenty. You know, yeah. so and I couldn't have agreed more. You know, yeah. I mean, you your career is about sticking to your guns and sometimes to my benefit sometimes to my detriment right (laughs) (laughs) this has been awesome thank you so much patrick this has been so great this is great you guys are a great team i love this um thank you (laughs) i'll do it again anytime we can talk about we can talk about dragon heart yeah oh we would love that i would didn't get to we didn't get to baby's day out Oh, I know. Oh, there are some stories there. Or Dennis the Menace. Yeah. Right. Our kid, no, exactly. And our kids love Baby's Day Out. Yes. Oh, so awful. believe me, it's killing me that we can't talk about well, it. Well, we can I do know. it another time. I'm yes. not going anywhere. Yes, Trust please. Me. That would be awesome. That would be right. awesome. But this was so cool. Thank you so much. And your new movie, I just want everyone to go see it. 52577. It's please. a real uh, labor of love, like in the best sense. Thanks. And so please rent it, watch it, buy it, uh, get a hold of it because it's available. And uh, I think you all really enjoy it. And thank you again, Patrick. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Have a good night. And that's it. That's our interview with Patrick so Reed uh, Johnson. Worth everybody. the wait. Worth yep. the wait. Seriously. Yep. So worth I know it. it was a, I know, Ryan, thank you, uh, by the way, for being so sure. diligent and, and reaching out to him. And I know that he has a busy schedule. And Oh, yeah. So, I mean, no. There are a I lot mean, of reasons why it took us a while, but wow was it worth it, it no totally such yeah like like you said it went from being an interview to a conversation and that's the best when you're oh, just absolutely. when you're just talking mm-hmm. so. and like you know it wasn't difficult because uh of any other reason other than patrick's like well we're you know we're doing final mix yeah. we're doing this and i'm like yeah please make the movie man yeah um dude dude that's what's important so and i love that he talked about his starstruck moments but we were i felt like the three of us were also having our starstruck sure. moment with him like <laughs> <laughs> well he, you know when you just like when he's like oh yeah and i talked to steve and you're like oh oh spielberg you know what i mean right. like oh no and here i am with george and i'm like oh oh lucas you know like yeah it's it's really you know it's like you're just like wow like you know it's and now it's... we're like here we are with patrick oh reed johnson <laughs> <laughs> he is just a terrific guy and uh again i recommend checking out 52577 it's his new movie check him out support uh, a filmmaker um you know a, a terrific filmmaker who's who's still out there trying to uh make it happen and uh got a new movie out we we uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to him soon about what he's doing next and have him back on the podcast because we just love chatting with him and we hope you enjoyed this interview um enjoyed taking a peek behind the curtain on warlock that was so fun and uh can never get enough stories about dead heat so I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, If you did, please give us a five-star review. And we'll see you next time on the New World Pictures Podcast. Bye, everybody.